Good morning. This morning's um, Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 8. And it's reading from verses 40 to 48. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The Lord bless the breathing of his word. As we continue our series on portraits of faith, we're going to look at two uniquely different ones woven together. Two stories very different, but Jesus had to interact with both of them at the same time. One of the things I love about the life of faith is that there are no standard answers. We wish there were more of those because it's more predictable. If this occurs, then this. That's why we enjoy behaviorism, the stimulus response. If this occurs, then we know this is the outcome. But it makes it challenging when we have to trust in faith. For example, we've been looking at the whole spectrum of healings. And by the time we're done with the series, we will have seen physical healings and emotional and relational things that actually affect the soul. There are no standard answers. One of the people that Jesus interacted with, often referred to as the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, there's one thing you need, mate. You sell all you have and give it to the poor. And many of you are going, I'm, I'm grateful that's not for me. I'm glad he needed that. I'm glad that's not what Jesus is saying to me. Although there's a couple of you here who m- maybe need to hear that one. We'll talk later. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus only ever told one person to be born again. We've used that as a standard around the world. Jesus only told one person to be born again. He takes into account this variety of human experiences and deals with each of us as unique individuals. The personal journeys of health and healing are incredibly wide. We start with instantaneous healings, like this woman we've just heard about. Immediately, she was healed. Immediately. Sometimes it's far more gradual. 
It takes time, and over time, God does seem to heal. Sometimes it comes through medicine, sometimes not at all through medicine. He just takes care of it. Sometimes there's no answers yet, and we have to say yet. Because it seems to us, we are so time conscious, and it seems to us the healing should be happening. And he says, it's not here yet. And then there are times when the outcomes and the time frames just seem disappointing. I think we can summarize this entire passage we're going to look at this morning in one great phrase. Identify what you need and go after it. This is not a time to be passive. This is not a time to wait and see. The people in this passage identified what they needed and they went after it. Let's take a look at how this text begins to unfold. The first is this woman that we heard about who pressed in on Jesus and got what she needed. She was in a hopeless situation and she said, He is my only hope. He's my only hope. She was in one of those hopeless situations, a no hope. She had been bleeding for 12 years. Now, as I go back next month, I will start my 24th year as a lecturer at Unity. One of the things I teach is communications, which in the grad school involves preaching. And there's always some young lad there who looks at this passage and asks the question, oh, it doesn't describe her bleeding. What, what was it? Mate, you're old enough. Figure it out. Now, I want you to notice what the text tells us. According to Luke's account, she had gone to doctors and not been healed. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is we're always trying to figure out how did God actually inspire the words of the Bible? Some of us wish it was a big megaphone from heaven. Say this. But we understand in passages like this how unique it was that he used personalities of the people. Luke, for example, is called Luke the physician. Now, when Luke's account, it simply says, she went to doctors, they couldn't help her. That was a big admission for a physician. When Mark records this, Mark says, she went to doctors, spent all the money she had, and didn't get healed. Interesting, Dr. Luke forgot to mention, she spent all the money she had going to doctors. You see, doctors take both a Hippocratic oath, but they also have this protection of their peers thing. And so Luke fails to mention she spent all her money. But Mark lets us know that. Her situation was not terminal. But it was ruining her life. Not just because it was inconvenient. But remember as a Jewish woman, because of the blood flow, she was always ceremonially unclean and couldn't even connect her heart and soul to God. She just felt hopeless. I, I can't get any relief anywhere. It's a no hope situation. So she said to herself what people of wisdom for the last 2,000 years have done. She said, I will go to Jesus. And she did. But she did it in an odd way. She thought, I'll sneak up on him. Women, let's talk for just a minute. 
men don't like it when you sneak up on them. There might be one or two places where they'd enjoy it. We're not going to talk about that in church. But don't sneak up on men. She decided to sneak up on, on Jesus. Now, when, you, when women sneak up on men, we know something. She's sneaky. You can't trust her. That's why we don't like it. She's deceptive, and if she'll go for what she wants and not tell you the truth. She thought it was just an easy way to get what she needed because she had no hope. And so she went and touched him, and Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? Well, no one would admit it. And so Peter had something to say. But Peter always had something to say. Rarely understood the situation. Which is why some of you like Peter's stories. You can identify with him. You just have something to say. Not always sure what it is, but you feel a need to say something. That's what Peter did. Come on, Jesus, there's lots of people. What do you mean somebody touched me? He said, no, wait a minute. I felt the power leave me. Now, this is an awkward one because we're going, we're not used to this. But we are in some ways. Just two weeks ago, we were asked to pray for a woman after the service. And as we were praying for her, there were two people who were touching her back. And as they touched her back, we paused in the middle and I said, what are you feeling? And she said, I'm feeling heat in my back, right where the two hands were. So he said, Lord, send a lot of heat. And as you send the heat, let her know this is the healing process you're going to use to touch and heal her back. Normal people praying the power of God over someone in need, and they sense the heat. Now, one of the things I do with global leadership is we do things called Holy Spirit weekends. Now, any of you who are into marketing, I could use you, because obviously this is not a good thing to call them. Graham's actually even talked to me and said, Martin, you need a little better marketing thing for this. It sort of sets up like this ooh thing, or it's, it's a little unclear. And I said, no, actually, we think it's quite clear. If we call it something else, and then people come and go, this is what you're talking about? So we just call them Holy Spirit Weekends. We tend to take them to churches that aren't used to that kind of teaching. We do seven one-hour teachings and seven one-hour structured experiences. And at the end of a weekend, we typically have seen God do some pretty significant things. I've taken a number of students with me, and they've gotten very excited and said, you need to do this in our church. Well, last year we agreed to do one at an African-American, a black Pentecostal church. Now, that's not usually where we do them. If you can't imagine what that's like, just picture what you might consider um, sort of loud, wild version of a Pentecostal experience, and then put it on extra heavy-duty strength, industrial strength steroids. It, it would be like that. Um, it's funny, I don't run in those circles, but I'm quite comfortable in them because I feel like it's the power of God and I just happen to be there on the same day. And my job was to go teach them about how to not go with learned experiences they knew, but to wait for the authentic move of God. And so I had just finished what in my mind was an incredible hour of teaching. In, in my mind, maybe I'm the one who identifies with Peter. Um, 
And we had some people being prayed for, and it was the third person. And I just started to pray, and boom, she went down. I thought, learned behavior. So I, I did a Jesus. I put up my hands and went, stop. Stop. And I looked down at her, and I said, get up. Come on. You know nothing happened. You did a courtesy fall. I know when there's something happens and nothing happened. You did a courtesy fall. Now, men, you never want to guess women's age. And if you do, always shoot low. (laughs) So she was, I would say, 55, probably 70. Um... (laughs) And when I said, get up, what are you doing down there? She got this cute little grin, and she said, I like it down here. <laughs> I said, I know you do, but it's learned behavior. This is not a touch from God. You just want to do carpet time. Wait for the authentic. So in the midst of the weekend, where there's a lot of loud and wild things, and I figure out how to actually get my groove on and shake a little. Um, I wish my mama would have given me a little more, but I I use what I have. We ended up seeing God in his power do some incredible things, but it was authentic, not learned. Jesus knew something had left him. And he turned to the woman, and instead of making a scene out of it or correcting her in any way, He simply looked at her and said, your faith has healed you. Imagine hearing that from Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Now the reason this occurred is because Jesus had been interrupted by this woman. As the text started, as we read it earlier, there was a man named Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, whose daughter was in terrible shape, and he came to Jesus. Jesus was actually on the way to Jairus' house when this woman interrupted him. Now, for so many of us, when we pull out our diary and look at the week, it's full. But one of the things that we so love about these Jesus stories we're looking at is almost all of them happened by people who interrupted him. If you want to see the power of God at work in your life, you're probably going to have to build in a bit more interruption time. You can't plan them. They happen and you pause and see what God will do. And so this next account begins to unfold for us as Jesus is on his way. Now, notice the difference between how men in the story operate and how the woman operated. The woman knew what she wanted and she went after it. She even tricked Jesus a little. No bloke's going to trick Jesus. He's going to go to him and say, here's what I need. And that's what he did. He said, I hope this one works. Because he wasn't nearly as sure as the woman. Wasn't necessarily grasping grasping at anything, but he just knew he needed help. And so he too went to Jesus. Let's see the story unfold in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and he said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. 
Just believe. She'll be healed. Now, notice, in the midst of this dreadful, dreadful news, Jesus didn't panic. He simply looked at the bloke and he said, No, 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 don't listen. Stay focused here, mate. Stay focused. Just believe. Don't worry. She'll be healed. That's how God speaks to men most often. Short statements. Do this, do this, don't do this. He's not kind often. He's direct. It's how he works with men often. In verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, did not let anyone go in with him except Peter and John and James and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all of the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus said, stop wailing. She's not dead. She's just asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she really was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Now, just this past Tuesday in this auditorium, we did prayer training for the people of Subi Church. And one of the things I tried to sell all of you on is the power of short prayers. Because apparently, somewhere, you learned the opposite of that. Long prayers. And it's amazing in Scripture how many of the prayers from the raising of Lazarus from the dead come forth. You prefer one word, arise. To hear four words, my child, get up. It doesn't take long prayers. And it says her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus thought he'd have a little fun. The girl's been dead. She's probably hungry. He said, come on, give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, and he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. When they faced their impossible situation, here's what it looks like. When someone you love is hopelessly sick, in this situation, it was said it was his only daughter. Now, come on. Even for the toughest men among us, an only daughter tugs at your heart. She was only 12. It's when your child, your partner, your parent, your loved one, it feels like an impossible situation. And when it feels hopeless, where do you turn? Well, we don't have to spend much time on that. Ben answered it all last week, very masterfully. You take hope, and you simply go back to God again. In those impossible situations, you embrace sometimes medical resources, sometimes human resources make a world of difference, sometimes there are natural resources that help. But you embrace God first and last, and sometimes only that He is the only place to go. So in an impossible situation where we will do almost anything, where we grasp at something, anything to give us hope in those situations, let's differentiate between trust or hope, faith, and trust. Let's differentiate. Hope is that sense that there is a possibility. There's an option. 
it sort of gives you a little wind in your sails to keep you going. It lets you think there is a possibility here. That's a trust, or excuse me, that is a hope factor. In the human spirit, it is foundational. As we move to faith, it is, without a doubt, going for what seems to be impossible. And in those moments, saying to God, if you don't come, we don't know what to do. The trust factor is when you take it another step over. And with unwavering strength, it's this active, very active, trusting in what God can and will do. Now, I want to just make a quick distinction between fear-based prayers and faith-based prayers. And I have to. Because very often when we listen to prayers, they're a fear base. And I'm not at all cynical about prayer. But I listen to some people's prayers and I go, God's not going to answer that one. I, I try not to say it to their face. But it, they're not. Because all you're doing is expressing your own panic. I, I don't like to be hard on mums. I loved my own mom, married to a wife who's a great mom. But I'm going to talk to mums for a minute. Because very often, moms, our prayers are fear-based. We, we talk to God as if he is absolutely unaware of what's going on in his universe. He has no idea how much we care about our families, how much we wish he would take care of it, how panicked we are about it. It's as if he doesn't know, and if God would only do what we want in our time frame, the universe would be at peace. And if you listen to those prayers, there's also a blame in them. A blame. Because there's an if only. It, you, you remember? It's modeled for us so well in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. His sisters, when Jesus arrived, they accosted him. And they said, if only you would have gotten here earlier, our brother wouldn't have died. You remember, it was one of Jesus' great friends. He knew what he was doing. The fear-based prayers, blame. It's what we do in human nature. When it doesn't go the way we want or hope, we assign blame someplace. And very often it's God. If only you or if only they would have done something different. Jesus is willing to take those. He did in Scripture. He'll do it today. Look at his responses in this passage. Don't be afraid. Verse 50. Just believe. She will be healed. Stop mourning and get up. I love how many times in the Bible either God or Jesus tell people to get up. It's one of my favorites. I use it regularly. Get up. Get up. Now, if we can take a summary statement of this whole passage and put a timeless truth to it, it's as if Jesus would say, will you let me take care of this in a way I know best? Will you let me take care of it in a way I know best? Come on. I want to create, if we can, a concept of partnership with Jesus. A partnership. 
In a partnership, you do your part. He does his part. In the partnership, you do everything you can do. In athletic terms, I heard it at the footy game last night on, on telly. They left everything on the field. They didn't save anything back. They gave it their all. In the moment when they could, they gave everything they had. In the realm of partnership and faith, that's what we do. We do our part. No what-ifs, no if-onlys. With strength and courage and faith and hope, we leave it all on the field, and then we trust Him with the outcomes. As we wrap up today, I want to give you a, a contemporary portrait of faith. I call it the favor of God. I, I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but in the favor of God, it's a concept both Old and New Testament. It's not that the people are favorites. Let's clarify. It's not as if God has favorites. I like you better than her. Isn't it obvious why? That's not how he operates. But favor is that sense of the hand of God clearly resting upon individuals, even places. And his favor, his absolute best and blessing rests upon them. I want to tell you a portrait of faith about the favor of God. Forty-nine years ago, Wendell and Martha Johnston dedicated their third son to God. He was the youngest of the three, and according to him, the brightest and best looking. <laughs> Being the youngest of three sons, I understand that one well. The story of the life of Graham Johnston has been the story of the favor of God. From the strapping young lad who was good at athletics, come on, from the time he was young, he was bright and articulate. From his youngest days at uni, church ministries were offered to him that other people only dreamed of. The hand of the favor of God rested upon him in a unique way. And it has continued to for these 49 years. It's the story of the favor of God. But also in the story is a place called Subi Church. Subi Church has also seen the favor of God. Come on, you can't deny it. Look at what God has done in you, for you, and with you. I mean, just look around and see. This is a place where across the nations God brings people to bring healing and satisfaction and depth to their soul. It's a, it's a little flavor of heaven. But not only here, but as we've seen on the screen, God's used this church around the world. In the slums of East Africa, there's hope because of Subi Church. It's the story of the favor of God. It's a great story, too. There was a partnership created between God and Graham and then Tracy Johnson, because God in his infinite wisdom brought Graham to Perth. But I'm not sure he stayed because God brought him here. That was part of the deal. But he stayed because of this Tracy person. But there was a unique partnership there, which also saw and has seen the favor of God. 
So let's get the picture. There's a partnership. God, Graham and Tracy Johnston, Suby Church. The favor of God. It's a great story. But it continues on. Because very recently there was an impossible situation came. You know the story. But it's a continuation of the partnership with God. So we're going to ask him for his favor one more time. One more time. And if we can do this partnership well, we will stand as people of faith and hope and trust. And we will give it all and leave it all on the field. And we know that we have done our part in the partnership. Now, if in the midst of this, you don't particularly like the time frames or any part of the process, you take that up with God. Because you see, He knows things you don't know. He knows things you will probably not need to know. And He knows things that you will never know. That's why the people of old said, Yet will I trust Him still. Now here's the great part of the story that I love. The final chapters the final chapters of the story of Grimm and Tracy Johnston and Subi Church in the partnership with God have not yet been written. They're still to come. May we see his favor rest upon us as those chapters are written. Just listen. She kept on getting weaker as day dragged into day. The doctors gave no hope for her, she seemed to fade away. My eyes were filled with constant dread, time became a knife. Slowly and relentlessly cut the cord of life. There was a teacher in the region then, and some of us had heard that he'd heal a paralytic by the power of just his word. So with hope again rekindled, I went at once to see if I could find a man named Jesus from a town in Galilee. I began to search the city, and as soon I saw the crowd, they were pressing in to touch him, and they called his name out loud. But with the strength of desperation, I pushed them all aside. I threw myself before him, and from my knees I cried, Lord, come and heal my daughter, even now she's close to death. Her fever's uncontrollable, and she fights for every breath. But God's given you the power, life is yours to give. If you'll just lay your hands on her, I know that she will live. She will live, she will live. Well, he just began to go with me when a face I saw with fear Came towards me with the news I knew I didn't want to hear And although I tried to still myself, I trembled when he said Why bother the teacher anymore? 
Your little girl is dead. Then Jesus touched my shoulder and he told me not to grieve. The trembling stopped when he looked at me and said only believe. Then he sent away the crowds except his closest men and they followed right behind us. And we started off again. We're still a long ways down the road when I heard the sounds and cries of the mourners and musicians as they strove to dramatize my grief they had no business with beneath their loud disguise. My wife just sat there silently and stared through empty eyes. Then Jesus asked the mourners, why is it that you weep? She isn't dead as you suppose. This child is just asleep. It only took a moment for the whales to turn to jeers. Who does this man think he is? Get him out of here. With authority I've never heard in the lips of any man. He spoke and every sun rolled out with thunder of command. And in the sudden silence, they all hurried for the door, wondering what the reasons were. They'd ever come there for. And he called his three disciples that were with him on the way. He led them and my wife and me to where our daughter lay. He took her by the hand and he told her child to rise. The words were barely spoken when she opened up her eyes. She rose and walked across the room and stood there at our sides. My wife knelt down and held her close, and at last she really cried. And then Jesus told us both to see that our daughter had some food. But as to how her life was saved, not to speak a word. Not to speak a word. Not to speak a word. Not to speak a word, not to speak a word. Since I've arrived, we've left some time at the end for response. And response is a wide range of emotive things from depth to loud expression. There's not one way to respond. This one requires, I think, depth. Take this one deeply for partnership with God. It's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to create this partnership where you leave everything on the field and then absolutely trust Him for the outcomes with no negotiations. In response time, very often we're afraid to be outward in that. I've listened to people around the world who said, I feel funny if people are looking at me. Well, trust me, not that many people are looking at you. This is about you and your God. What is best for you? This morning, express it to Him. Take this partnership as deep as you want because He's waiting. He's waiting for you to take that partnership the next step deeper. Let's respond to Him.